My skeptical friend, I'm offering you nothing short of hope and hope that overflows. And it comes through belief in Jesus. That's Romans 15, 13. That you would be filled with all joy and peace and that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's in today's text. I want to pray that you pray with me. That you would come to believe in Jesus and you would pray those same five Bible verses that I have finished every sermon I've preached at Highlands Community Church for the last year and a half. I've seen, even in the past week, one of you, my now formerly skeptical friends, give your lives to Christ. People who followed pagan faiths are now Christians. People who were militant anti-Christian atheists are now Christians. I've seen that, but I haven't seen nearly enough of it at Highlands Community Church. I am blessed and humbled and grateful that a great percentage of the growth we've experienced over the, year, uh, the past year and a half has been people who are already Christians being called to the church home of Highlands Community Church. That is great. That is amazing. But when we come back from quarantine, I want to see more cigarette butts in our parking lots to the glory of God. Because I want us, as Romans 15 calls us, to preach Christ where he hasn't been preached before. Here are some ways that you can practically, okay, Christian, my skeptical friend, stand by for just a minute, although this is not a drill. Christian, I know we've covered some big, deep, heady theological stuff. Here are some practical ways that you can connect a conversation with your neighbor by your mailboxes, talking about Marshawn Lynch and Skittles, to those five verses, okay? Here, I mean, when I do this, feel free to take this and make it your own. I'll ask a question. Just ask a question that builds a segue to these things. Let the Holy Spirit do all the work. It's beautiful. I'll ask, what do you believe about God? It's really that simple. I'll ask, if you were to go to church, where would you go? Now, when I lived in the Deep South, what I would ask is, when you go to church, where do you go? <laughs> you can just ask, what do you think about spiritual things? These are the questions that I ask. And when I ask these questions, I just sit respectfully and listen to what my friend's story is. And what happens after you listen respectfully to your friend's story? You reciprocate. You tell your story. When my story, my story is John 3.16. This is why this is the first of those five verses. It's because, my skeptical friend, the whole gospel is predicated upon the love of God. That overflowing hope that I promised you, or rather that the Bible promises you in Romans 15, 13, it comes from this, belief in Jesus. John 3, 16 says, if you, says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not die but have everlasting life. Believe in him. Overflow with hope and joy and peace. Then we include Romans 3, 23, because every one of us is a sinner. Somebody can't be saved unless they know what they're being saved from. And currently in our culture, where we like to tweet out our virtue all the time and do things that make us look virtuous, we need to confess that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's why I include Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 then speaks about the wrath of God for sin and the gift of God for sinners. Don't hide the wrath of God for sin and the, and the, the truth of hell in the fine print of your Christian brochure when you share your faith, Christian an adequate and complete gospel presentation speaks about both the wrath of God for sin and the grace of God upon sinners. 
Everybody loves the second half of Romans 6, 23. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But there are some people who are saved only by the deep conviction that comes with the first half of Romans 3, 23. For the wages of sin is death. And then John 14, 6. This could be one of the most offensive verses in the whole Bible in Seattle culture where we are postmodernist and we don't necessarily hold to an authoritative view of truth. Jesus makes this audacious, exclusive claim to the truth. It's written in red. And when we pray these words to Jesus, we are quoting Jesus to Jesus. We're just affirming to him that we believe him. At Highlands Community Church, we don't believe that there are multiple paths to God. We don't believe that people who worship other gods, or other saviors are saved. We are, rather, we believe Jesus. We take him at his own word. When he himself said in John 14, 6, he is the way, he is the truth, is the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. And then the reason that I include Romans 10, 9 is that it's the most succinct verse in the whole Bible. It's the only if-then statement in the whole Bible that says how Christians are made. We pray this one because it marks the conversion moment. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So I share these five verses to share the gospel with you, my skeptical friend. And then I remind you of these five verses, member of Highlands Community Church, so that when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, you, like one member of our church shared with me, will know exactly what to say. So this has been on my heart for the last year and a half. This is why I've shared these five verses at the end of every sermon. In Jesus' name, because we grasp the book of Romans, may we never be the same again. Let's pick up where we left off. Listen to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. You're about to see this rapid fire series of some 23 or 24, depending on how you subdivide it, calls to action. And you're not going to fully digest them all right now. Rather, I want you to meditate upon these. Divide them across your calendar for the week. So I set them out to, to three or four a day for the week or one a day for the next like month. Meditate upon these. There's beautiful transformative truth in these. Serve the Lord. Be fervent in the Spirit. Welcome to Highlands Community Church. Now get to work. God has given you by the power of the Holy Spirit a unique spiritual gift that you would serve. You could see these, these calls to serve move almost imperceptibly in this smooth segue from focusing on the individual to regarding the larger team, the church, the bride of Christ. It's really cool because even some of the individual instructions are about the individual's interactions with the church love one another deeply as brothers and sisters in Christ. You can see that these are instructions that are applied individually, but then have, a, have an effect that is corporate, that is ecclesial, that regards the entire church. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Ha! <laughs> That's a tough one right now. Have you ever prayed in the midst of affliction that God would just remove the affliction? God, just take the bad thing away. Like, would this this call to action tells us to do is to be patient in the affliction. I'm sorry, friend. Patience only comes about one way. That's the hard way. There are no patience injections, you know, whereby you can suddenly be okay with your kids screaming. 
Rather, patience comes about only through trial or difficulty and time. There's theological significance in the very next call to action, that we would serve the Lord, that we would be patient in affliction, and that we would be persistent in prayer. Why persistent in prayer? God heard us the first time. It's because there is a sanctifying, refining effect that takes place in the repeated prayers over time. Because every time you pray something that you know is in line with the will of God, you demonstrate your faith that he'll do it, your faith that he'll do it, your faith that he'll do it. And there's a refining effect that comes about that way. Be persistent in your prayer, not because God is hard of hearing or has amnesia, but because it sanctifies us when we are persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their need. See that? These instructions pertain to the individual, how he, and how he or she treats the team, the church. Pursue hospitality. That doesn't mean you just sit by your front window and wait for people to walk by and ask you for food. You got to walk out of that front door. You got to pursue opportunities to exercise the spiritual gift of hospitality. Bless those who bless you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Amen. Everybody loves a party. And then the very next phrase, weep with those who weep. <laughs> That's less fun, isn't it? I've officiated several funerals, some for non-Christians and some for Christians. I've made a lot of hospital visits, sometimes visiting Christian families, sometimes non-Christian families. And it is distinctive and beautiful to behold when Christians never weep alone and they never weep without hope. If you're a member of Highlands Community Church and you're in need, in light of this text, would you reach out to us? If you're our skeptical friend, our neighbor, and you're in need, would you reach out to us? Thank you for giving to benevolence. Thank you for giving faithfully to the church. Would you... Join a small group so that you could rejoice with those who rejoice. And you could weep with those who weep. And then when you rejoice, you won't rejoice alone. And when you weep, you'll never weep alone. Join or start a small group. Live in harmony with one another. This is a musical term, right? Three distinct pitches, the first, the third, and the fifth. Together, they make a sound that's more beautiful when combined than each of these notes is individually or apart. When we come to church and we worship in harmony with one another, we don't sacrifice our distinctives, be they cultural or, or spiritual giftings or our ethnic distinctives and adorn gray smocks and, and walk in uniformity. Rather, the motley nature of our giftings and backgrounds and cultures makes the worship all the more beautiful because we are better when we are together than we are when we are individuals. And this is, this is a beautiful earthly foreshadowing of a heavenly reality. Revelation 7 describes people from every tribe and every nation, every language and every tongue together bringing their glory in to worship God. It's as though each one of these representatives of these nations, both in the past and the present and across oceans from one another, are all coming there to say, we are here from Zambia and God has been faithful to us. And then here comes the delegation, the representatives, the elect, the saved from Cuba. And they say, God has been faithful to us. And then here come the oppressed Christians in the prisons and the gulags of North Korea. And they say, God was faithful to us. And here we come from Seattle, Renton, and Kent, Washington, and say, God has been faithful to us. And together, all of us, all of our worship combined is in harmony with one another. When we worship through diversity and harmony on the earth, we are bringing heaven to earth. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of what heaven is like. Did you know that on a normal weekend, Highlands Community Church proclaims the gospel in five languages? I think that's incredible. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble 
Do not be wise in your own estimation, Jesse. <laughs> do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See those words, as far as it depends on you? Do you see that if you're doing everything you possibly can and somebody's still determined to respond in belligerence or hostility, that's on them. Okay, you let the Holy Spirit of God deal with them. You don't need to own something that isn't your fault. Rather, you, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. All right, watch. Watch how God deals with the belligerent party. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. When there's a lack of peace within the body of believers or believers are in a dispute with one another, it's because one or both of them is out of line with this text. Have you done everything as far as it depends upon you? Could you do more? Yes, that. <laughs> or are you trying to do too much? Leave Leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord. Do everything as far as it depends upon you to be at peace with everyone. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This is a beautiful rapid-fire series of practical instructions that applies to the individual and equips him to be a part of the team. And when we go to the next chapter, skipping over what Explore the Bible has already covered, we're going to see it pertain to a motley gathering of believers, some of whom come from a Jewish background, some of whom still remember Jewish dietary restrictions and are having a hard time letting go of that, some of whom came from a Gentile background with dietary, dietary habits all their own that have, that have different convictions on that. And you're going to see the larger arc of the message of the book of Romans, wherein God is the sovereign judge over truth itself, is the judge of mankind that he sovereignly created and elected Israel so that now because of Jesus, who came from Israel, Gentiles may call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. The result is this motley, harmonious mixture of people from different walks of life, Jews and Gentiles together with one mind and one voice, praising God and a fulfillment of what was prophesied even as far back as 2 Samuel, even as far back as Psalms. And then in chapter 15, which is covered in our small group curriculum, there is this call to now go reach the unreached. And I'm giving us that same call, Highlands Community Church. When I was in elementary school, I had this friend, his name was Tyler, and his dad would come and work on our horse's feet. And so while his dad helped my family's horses, Tyler and I would play, and we just became, became like best friends in elementary school. And one day, Tyler came to school wearing this cool football jacket. It was like this shiny, silky blue jacket, and it had this like big Native American traditional head mask, like, uh, like uh, uh, headdress thing on the back of it. And it was really cool looking. I mean, I played soccer, and you know, my soccer jersey was just like a Hanes t-shirt with like a patch ironed on the back of it. And you know, Tyler's jacket looked way cooler, and so he kind of recruited me, and I wanted to play football then. So went to the football field to Inslee Chiefs. I spoke with my parents. They brought me there, and I was brought to this musty old closet and given this, like, hunk of plastic that was shaped like a head. I had a deceptively large head, even though I was a really little guy. I was, like, shorter than, shorter than almost everybody else out there. 
and they, you know, put this thing on, and it's, it's made out of, like, this plastic that's been yellowed gradually in the, in the brutal Florida sun since, like, Reagan was president at the time, and it still smelled like him. And, and we were kind of run through some drills just to see where everybody stood. And, you know, it was my turn to run some drills, run some patterns, and try to catch passes, which was difficult because the guy that was defending me was, like, two or three feet taller than me. So I ran out for like five of these passes and the guy defending me intercepted all five of them. And that was, that was the highlight of the day for me. <laughs> and then we got behind this sled to push the coach and I was on the end and like wherever the sled went, it kind of turned toward my side of the sled. <laughs> and I couldn't throw very far, but it wouldn't even really have mattered if I could throw far because I was so short that it, you know, all the lineman would have to do is either like lift his hand up or you know, like have a face. <laughs> So it wasn't looking very promising. I really wasn't very good. But something happened. At the end of practice, the coach blew the whistle and then told everybody to run a lap around the practice field. Now, I had been running my whole life, and I didn't really know this at the time. It wasn't until I got to middle school and started doing, like, junior Olympic track and stuff like that that I, God had given me a little bit of speed. My dad used to run on that same flying field I told you guys about before, and I once missed the memo that he was running, but I caught him halfway through the field, scared the snot out of him. He, I ran a 5K alongside him, and, and he told me to go on. I accidentally came in second. So when this coach blew the whistle, I went all like Moe's Shroot and just ran <laughs> and came back in first. The coaches were a bunch of good, good, you know, southern boys, and they were the fathers of some of the players, and they said, hey, there might actually be something about this Jesse kid. We might be able to put him to work yet. Hank, you go speak with him. And so Hank came and spoke with me one-on-one -on -one and got down and looked through my little face mask. <laughs> was like, all right, listen, Jesse, you're pretty awful at catching and throwing, but listen, if you can catch somebody if you can hug his knees, they'll go down. I don't care how big the tree is, it's going to fall. You hear me, son? Now, you probably shouldn't tell kids to tackle other kids by the knee, <laughs> but that was what they told me to do. And I was so excited. I was so excited when I first got to do this in a game because, like, my, my skill set was non-existent in all the other areas, but now I had found my niche. Now I had been coached individually, and then I have been shown where I fit in the formation. They put me in the middle of the three linebackers and told me to watch for the handoff and watch for the pass and then just go. And I did. And the very first play that I got to start as a linebacker, little number 79 for the Inslee Chiefs, blue, and they called us the midgets. It wasn't very politically correct, but that's what they called us at the time. Uh, it, we, the very first play that I got to do this on, I was so ecstatic. I did exactly what the coach told me to do and ran full speed and took a guy out by the knees. He was way taller than me, and he went down. And then the coach pulled me to the side, and I was like, Jesse, that was a really good job, son. Just one thing. You can't do that after the whistle has blown. You just gave a late hit, and we got a big penalty. So it didn't go very well. But eventually, I got the hang of it. And it was because of that individual coaching, I was shown where I fit within the larger picture of things, that I was able to be on a team with teammates who could do things that I couldn't. And together, we did okay. And eventually, one day, I got to go to school in one of those cool little silky Inslee Chiefs football jackets. My prayer is that you, if you feel isolated, hopeless, and alone, that because of the Spirit's work through this text, that you would overflow with hope. 
and joy and peace, that you would join in with the family of God wherein we sacrifice for one another, we consider one another, we help one another along, we build each other up, we pursue unity and peace and harmony alongside a beautifully diverse family of God and an increasingly, in Jesus' name, diverse family of God. And we together are going to now go and preach the gospel where the gospel has not been preached before. Would you join in the family of God, my skeptical friend? By believing in Jesus, be filled with joy and peace and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join our team. Here are some of those practical instructions that are now given regarding the consideration that Christians are to have for fellow Christians. Here's chapter 14, picking up where today's small group curriculum leaves off, now in verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another, Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall on the way of your brother or sister. Okay, Jesse, hold up. I've heard you say something that directly contradicts that. Here's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, right, verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Hold on, there's more. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, meaning this person claims to be a Christian, but in an unrepentant fashion, with no intention of ever repenting from these sins, also simultaneously identifies as sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. The reason this is distinctive from what we just read in Romans is that this was written to confront an error. Much of the book of 1 Corinthians was written to confront error, particularly in the church of Corinth, and particularly in the church of Corinth, there was a semi-incestuous, grotesquely inappropriate sexual relationship between a man and a woman that people just let go utterly unconfronted. And Paul is calling upon them to evoke church discipline. Church discipline comes in Matthew 18, wherein if your brother sins, you go to him one-on-one, and the hope is that he would repent, and then praise God, it's done, it's over. Right? But If he still doesn't repent, still doesn't confess, you bring two or three witnesses. If he still doesn't confess, still doesn't repent, then you bring him before a larger context. At Highlands, it could be a small group or something larger. And if by the end of all this, he still has zero intention of ever repenting from the sin that he's flagrantly continuing in, then you start all over again with the gospel. All right, and this, this was a call to expel that brother from the fellowship of the church because he had no intention of repenting from this relationship. Right? It's possible that both parties had no intention of repenting from the immoral relationship. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is calling out hypocrisy in the church. Like, do what you're supposed to do. Here, he's giving clarity for some of the disagreements regarding food and drink. Let's read on. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. 
For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do you hear that? Please send me emails in light of that. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul had addressed this again in the church of Corinth, and it gives some contextual clarity as to exactly what's going on here. Here's 1 Corinthians 8 on the same matter. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we're not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours, meaning this freedom you have in Christ to eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want, is in no way a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against your brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Here you had people who had grown up in a more largely pagan culture where you'd got, walk to a, a market where there's a temple next door, and they would make sacrifices, animal sacrifices, on the burning altar to the pagan god, which is really a demon in disguise or nothing at all. I don't think any of it was spiritually benign, but it would result in this delicious smelling meat, and so the temple would then sell it, or others would then sell it. And so you, as a Christian, walking through this market, you know redemptive history. You know that in Genesis 1, in the Garden of Eden, initially Adam and Eve were given plants to eat. They were vegetarians. But then, after the flood, meat was put on the menu. And then the law specified what kinds of meat could be eaten. But now, see what God did in Acts chapter 10 in Peter's heart, showing him, now don't call common that which God has made clean. He's showing now everything's on the menu. There's freedom in Christ. Christ has fulfilled the law. But if you as a Christian are walking through this market, you smell that meat, you see that offered there, and, and if you think to yourself, I mean, that was an offering made to a pagan god, to like a demonic entity, and if I eat it, like, I don't want to eat a demon or something. And is it, I probably shouldn't be patroning this place. Like, is it wise of me to do that? And so you have this attack of your conscience. You feel conflicted. Paul was speaking in 1 Corinthians specifically to that person. Look, if that's you, if that's what your conscience says, don't do it. That's a personal conviction from the Lord. You need to obey that. However, if you're a Christian walking through that same marketplace and you smell the delicious meat and you say, they may have sacrificed it to Dagon, but I'm going to dedicate it to the Lord and sit down and eat and relish in the freedom of Christ. 
knowing that everything is made clean by prayer. Listen to 1 Timothy 4, 4. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So if you have a clear conscience and you could go eat that meat that was sacrificed to an idol, by all means, do that. However, consider your brother or sister in Christ who would struggle with that. Don't do anything that would cause him or her to stumble. Keep this between you and God. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between you and God. Likewise, Peter would even still struggle with the freedom that he had dietarily in the new covenant. God showed him in Acts chapter 10 that the Holy Spirit was just as much upon the Gentiles as he was upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2. But still, see Galatians chapter 2, Peter would step back into these old ways. And so Paul confronts him over this matter. This was a big deal in the original biblical culture, both between Jews and Gentiles, and then also people who in the city of Corinth once worshiped idols. In our context today, the way that we might apply it is this. Let's say that you and your small group reach out to a friend of yours, a coworker who has been a Muslim his whole life, and the Spirit works on him. The two of you have a conversation by the water cooler. You can see that God's working in his heart. You share with him. You share with him the beautiful truth of John 3.16. And he goes home. He thinks about it. Months later, comes back to you and says, listen, I said those words to God. I prayed those words to God. Jesus is my Lord now. You praise God. It's amazing. You invite him to your small group. You guys connect. It's probably then not a good idea to take him out the next day to eat barbecue pork and drink a beer. Why? Because he spent his whole life abstaining from those things. And he may not be in the place yet in his good conscience where he can abide fully in the freedom he has in Christ to eat barbecue pork, to drink beer. I mean, he may not be there yet. Don't cause him to stumble, is what this text is saying. It speaks to both those who struggle with things and to those who don't struggle with things. It would be wrong of me to project upon you Old Testament-style laws and rules that make you abide by rules that would protect you, ironically and hypocritically, from the things that I've struggled with. Those are my personal convictions. I need to listen to those. But likewise, if you don't struggle, you are called upon to be sensitive to the effect that your freedom in Christ might have on somebody who struggles with these things. So keep it private. Keep it between you and God. Don't cause somebody else to stumble. And listen to your conscience, because those personal convictions from the Spirit are intentional. They're put there for a reason. Look at chapter 15. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those, who, those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. See, we're talking about the team now. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance. That's the difficult kind of hope, but the good kind. And through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. 
what beautiful unity among these Gentiles and, and former Jews, together with one mind, with one voice, considering one another in their unique struggles and stumbles, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now they are worshiping with one mind and one voice, just like here at Highlands Community Church, that we are diverse and, in, and we are multilingual and we come from various backgrounds and we together with one mind, with one voice, would worship God together. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. What better thing for you to have in common with somebody else from a different culture, a different ethnicity, a different walk of life than the one who saves your souls, Jesus Christ. For I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised, that's Jews, on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, so that the Gentiles, that's every other nation, may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, quoting 2 Samuel 22:50 and Psalm 18:49, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praise to your name. Again it says, quoting Psalm 117:1, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, let all the peoples praise him. This unity among Jews and Gentiles alike worshiping in one voice was prophesied centuries prior. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. Jesse was the father of David, through whom the Messiah was prophesied. To the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now, here it is, my skeptical friend, here's that hope that is promised, and here's how you get it. Listen, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you receive this hope, you believe. So I want to speak directly to my skeptical friend. I want you to pray with me those five verses. But first I want to speak to the member of Highlands Community Church who has never engaged the people in your life who are far away from God, who are far away from the gospel. We're going to study in small group the very next chapter. I want to spoil some of it for you because it's exquisite and it's beautiful and it should change the trajectory of the growth of our church's future. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. Go to them, Highlands Community Church. Share the gospel with everyone. I want to see Highlands growth increase in the percentage of conversions from people who are far from God, who don't know the gospel. If they knew the gospel, they'd be saved, but they're not saved, so they don't know the gospel. So you tell them, go, don't build on someone else's foundation. Proclaim Christ to people who have never heard the gospel before. And you don't even need to go on mission to do that. The nations are here. They're in Seattle. And in the same unity that Jews and Gentiles could have in the original context, we, as a multi-ethnic church, can have the same unity right here. Go and preach Christ where he's not been preached before. I want the growth of Highlands Community Church to come from people who are far from God being radically saved. Now, my skeptical friend, this is your chance. That overflowing hope that we just read about, verse 13 says, it comes as you believe. Do you believe right now? Do you believe that God loved the world so much? that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not die but have everlasting life? Do you believe that's true? If so, this is the Holy Spirit of God drawing upon your heart. This is the day that you become a part of the team. Would you pray with me and confess, Romans 
You've sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, just like me. Would you confess, Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus? Would you tell Jesus you believe him? He said, John 14, 6, that he is the way and the truth and the life. Would you pray, Romans 10, 9, mark the moment of your conversion to Christianity right here and now today to be saved. Pray with me right now. Members of Highlands Community Church, this is your rehearsal. God, I believe that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. God, I confess that the wages of my sin is death. I confess, God, that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I confess that the wages of that sin is death. And I, I confess, God, I believe, God, that the gift you offer is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, when you yourself said that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way I can come to God the Father except through you, Jesus, through Jesus alone. God, by your spirit, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Would you say it out loud right now, my formerly skeptical friend, Jesus is Lord? Say it. Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, God, let me be saved. Let me overflow with love, overflow with joy, overflow with peace, overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the team.